we are looking at, um, at um, being shaped more and more like Jesus. And because they are departing so quietly, I will, uh, I will go ahead and dive into our passage. We're going to look at two of them, one in the Gospel of Matthew and then one um, in the letter to the Philippians. So let's look at this first one in the Gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus speaking, and Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then, from Paul's letter to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful, bright chilly day. A reminder again of the reality that the seasons are changing and yet you remain the same. And so we pray that you would be with us as we ask the question, what does it mean for us to look more like you? It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So several years ago now, back in 2012, uh, I was invited to take part in a men's retreat in Phoenix, Arizona. I was pretty excited, i got to be honest with you, because it felt like this was the first time that anyone had ever even heard of me. That maybe, right, this was my big golden ticket, my opportunity for somebody outside of a little church or my little organization to to hear me. And so in all, you know, um, um, self-awareness of my own pride, I went with great excitement. This was going to be a huge weekend for me to be a part of this men's retreat. Now, I was really excited until I actually got there. Now, let me paint the picture for you just quickly here. Uh, This is in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, It was for a large Presbyterian church. Uh, It was in late February, early March, um, which means that the average age of those who had assembled was like 80 or 85, which is fine. I love 80 or 85-year-olds. Please hear me. I'll try not to look at anybody, but I love everyone who is that age or older. I'm just painting a picture that about 90 or 95% of the people were over 65, okay? So here I was. I came in. I was in my 30s. Um, I was was in charge of this fledgling, soon-to-be extinct organization that I was just doing just an amazing job at running. And, um, and, and, And nobody had heard of the organization, quite frankly, who was there. And so, so that was me, but I didn't care because this was going to be my big chance. I was really excited. Now, what happened, though, was that I began, after getting there, to hear more about the two other speakers. One of those other speakers, uh, he was, can I do this real quick? I want to be able to see you all. So one of those other speakers was, um, was a Air Force um, Academy grad. Uh, he was the COO of an organization called Food for the Hungry, which was, if you're curious, a bit more well-known than the organization that I was in charge of. And he was a helicopter pilot during the Vietnam War. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of men who are over 65, do you know what they were doing in the late 60s and early 70s? They were in Vietnam, right? And so all of a sudden you have this connection, right? And there was me. The other person who was speaking was, uh, was the play-by-play announcer for the Colorado Rockies. So here we are uh, in spring training heaven, right, or haven, right, with guys who love baseball, and you have the guy who was the play-by-play announcer for the Rockies. And if that wasn't enough, this gentleman also survived a commercial plane crash. I'm not talking about a skid off the runway crash. I'm talking a crash where he was up in the air. They came down tragically. There were many who were killed. He, 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 he got out. He survived. And then he went back in to rescue people. And then there was me. Right? This was incredibly embarrassing. The last thing I wanted to do was to be there. So there I was. I went first. Because if you're organizing this event, you don't put me last or you know that nobody is left. Am I right? So I'm there. I'm first, right? And so I knew that this elephant was in the room. So I did my best to kind of call out my own insecurities. I said, hey, you know, I shouldn't really even be up here right now. I should be with you guys hearing these two other extraordinary men. Am I right? And I kept waiting for someone to be like, no, right? They didn't. Right, those who were awake, they, 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 they just kind of nodded or they looked at their watch, right? Like, how long is this guy going to be here? It was embarrassing. I was completely overshadowed. Now, the reason why I bring that up this morning is for this. That when I think about our topic for today, which is gentleness... It seems to me that gentleness is oftentimes feels exactly like I felt on that Saturday morning, which is continually being overshadowed by things that seem much more important, much more prominent. Right? I mean, look about even just our passages today, right? You have the Gospel of Matthew. This is a passage that I, I, I oftentimes quote when we have communion. And, you know, um, um, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, right? And when we look at this gospel of Matthew. What do we do? We focus on things like, oh, I am tired. I am burdened. I would love to just rest in the Lord. What does that look like? How do we rest in the Lord? We are so weary. Or, or we begin to talk about the yoke. Oh, it would be great if Jesus would help me to carry this yoke. And what does it mean that the yoke is, is, is easy or the, that it's light? And what does that actually really look like in my life? And we, we talk about those things, which is great. And we talk about all those things. And over in the corner, there's gentleness. Right? Don't, don't forget me. Or in the letter to the Philippians, right? Why does this start? Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. I just preached on this, like maybe, I don't remember, a couple years ago now. And, 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 and when I talked about it, you know what I didn't talk about? 
gentleness. I said something about being gentle, but that was it. Otherwise, I talked about how do you have joy? What's the difference between joy and happiness? Remember that Paul was in prison, right? How do you really have joy? Or we talk about anxiety, right? Do not be anxious over anything whatsoever. And we say, yes, we are living in an anxious world. I feel, I worry all the time. How do we live like that? And we talk about all those things, which is good and right. But in the middle of those conversations, gentleness is over there in that corner. And is like, don't forget about me. But we do, and for understandable reasons, quite frankly. Why? Well, because gentleness, it just doesn't, it doesn't stand out. Even the commentators, we look at the commentators. I read over the commentators, and here's what they'll do. They'll they'll say something like, well, you know what? Oh, and we should really be gentle. Now, what does it look like to carry the yoke of Jesus? And then it goes on, and there's paragraph after paragraph about that. Or or, or they say, you know what? Paul says that we should let our gentleness be evident to all. Wouldn't that be great? What if you're dealing with anxiety? How do we deal with that? And then they go on and on, right? Even this week, I will be completely transparent in saying around Wednesday or so, I think it was, I was looking at this topic of gentleness, and I thought to myself, why am I preaching on this? And I went back to my little legal pad where I had written down around 15 or 20 characteristics of Jesus. I knew I could only do 10, but I looked at 15 or 20 of them, and I looked back because I was like, did I have some keen insight? Is that why I wanted to do this? And I looked, and I checkmarked all the ones I wanted to talk about, and the one thing I did not check off was gentleness, Because I knew it was going to be lame. There's nothing exciting about gentleness. The only thing that brought me joy was the fact that this was going to be a fall break Sunday. I thought no one will show up and that will be fine. This is a fine one to miss out on. The reality is that gentleness is not something that very many of us ever talk about. It is not something that comes naturally for very many of us. There's not many for whom internally we just ooze gentleness. It's certainly not something that our culture or our workplace at all tries to encourage. Gentleness is not the thing that gets you ahead. There's not a, hey, here's a great success. If you want to be successful, be gentle. No, that's not the way. And so it's really not surprising that we don't talk about what it looks like to be gentle. The problem, though, is this. As followers of Jesus, we are not told to do that simply which comes naturally, nor to do that which the culture applauds, nor to do that which is the most exciting and is going to make you say, let's go get them, tiger. What we are called to do is to be shaped like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, the passage that we keep talking about says that our lives are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. And when Jesus says, for I am gentle, then that probably means that we need to ask ourselves, should we be more And when Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all, then perhaps we should be asking the question of whether or not we are being shaped in a way that is gentle. 
And as you look at the life of Jesus, one of the things that you notice is that his was a life that seemed to have gentleness strewn through it throughout his life. There was always this common thread. When he deals with children, right, unlike the disciples who wanted to get rid of the children, he says, come to me. Right? When, you, when you look at the way that he dealt with the broken, with those who needed healing, right? with those who were outcast, oftentimes like women, there was this sense of gentleness right? that people wanted to be with him. Even, even with Peter, we talked about this two weeks ago, when he wanted the forgiveness, he wanted to forgive Peter. He didn't do so in some kind of rude way. No, what did he do? He kept saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you Love me. There was this gentle way that, as Dale Bruner says, the gentleness of Jesus is that which is patient for those who are slow to learn and is thoughtful for those who need correction. That Jesus, throughout his life, was this person who lived in a gentle way. Was he bold? Absolutely. And yet there was always a gentleness about him. Now, one of the questions that we have to ask is this. Why is gentleness important? When I usually think about gentleness, I'll be honest in saying, I usually think about, well, that's a nice thing. It would be nice to be gentle. Those are good manners, right? We try to teach our children, you know, what do we say? Be gentle, right? Usually that's the way we say it to our kids, right? So maybe, maybe the message is lost just a wee bit, but that's... What we try to say, we think it's good, right? And if you were to give us a list of 10 things, there's 10 things and gentleness is one of them, we'd say, oh, it's great. But we would also say, well, you should work on these first nine first. And if you have time, then you should start thinking about trying to be gentle. Right? By and large, it isn't something that moves up that we think is all that much of a priority. So why is it that it was so important for Jesus to be gentle? And why is it that it is important for us to be gentle? Well, one of the things that we see in the life of Jesus as you think about it is this. One of the things that should cause us pause is, this, is that Jesus had a remarkable ability to be in relationship with people from a wide spectrum of life. People who were rich, people who were poor, people who were loud, people who were quiet, people who were Jewish, people who were Gentiles, Romans, people who were Samaritans. He had this remarkable ability to be uh, friends, to be in relationship with the powerful, like soldiers, as well as with women who at that time had no power whatsoever. Jesus had this remarkable ability to be able to be in relationship. As people have pointed out, he had this way of wooing people, of enticing them, that even when they disagreed, even if they thought they weren't going to like him. Even some Pharisees, we are told, who came sometimes underneath the veil of darkness, there was something about Jesus that drew them in. That Jesus was about being in relationship with others and that the way that that happened was through, not necessarily even the particular words he said, but is it how he said them in a gentle way that they wanted to be a part of him. Here's what Craig Barnes says about gentleness. He says, as a virtue, it being gentleness arises from strength, from strong people who choose 
to honor the sacredness of their relationships. Let me just read that last part again. It arises from strong people who choose to honor the sacredness of their relationships. What gentleness does is it says, I am going to honor our relationship because I believe it is sacred and that it is more important than me winning any particular argument or winning any particular fight, that what is most important is my relationship with you. Isn't this what we see with Jesus? Think about the story in John 4 of the woman at the well. You know the story. Most of us know this story. If you don't look it up, John 4, it's a fantastic story. Here is a woman who is of a different ethnicity and is an enemy. Three strikes. And yet Jesus somehow is able to be in relationship with her. And here's the thing. It isn't about being a wallflower or not being bold. What does Jesus do? Jesus calls her out. He knows her brokenness. He knows her sin. What does he say? I know you've been married Four times, I think it is, and that the woman with whom you are living, or the man with whom you are living now, is not even your husband. I know this. And what does she do? She stays there with him. There is this sense that she knows that even though he knows these things, there's something different about the way that he acts that is drawing her to him. And what does this woman do? She runs into town. And what does she tell them? She says this. This is, I hope you catch this. She says, I want you to come meet this man. And why do I want you to meet this man? Because you're going to love this guy. He, he told me everything I have ever done. Now, if you come to me and you say, Jerry, I want you to meet this person, man, because he's told me everything I've ever done, and he's going to tell you everything you've ever done, what do you say? Hey, that's great. Yeah, no, no, yeah, let's meet in an hour. Okay, sure, I'll meet you there. And you go the opposite direction. right? Most of us do not want to be with someone who's been, who will tell us everything we've ever done. But here's the thing. Jesus did it in such a way, in such a loving and gentle way, that in spite of that, she still wanted to be in relationship with him. She was still drawn to him. The sacredness of the relationship. Two decades ago now, I was in my early 20s. And, you know, which means, of course, that, I mean, I pretty much had life figured out, right? I knew, I knew just about everything. My, my mom says this about people who are 18. Uh, it's probably also holds true for those in their early 20s. This is no, you know, uh, if you're in your early 20s, that's great. Um, so here, this is going to excite you. In the early 20s, you, um, um, you're smarter than you've ever been before, and you're smarter than you'll ever be again, Right? I mean, this is just the reality, right? Oftentimes, um, as, you, as, you, as, you, as you get older, you realize, maybe I didn't quite know quite as much, but I felt like in my early 20s, I knew everything. Not only that, I had just spent a semester in Washington, D.C., which meant that I was on a real politics kick, and it meant that I knew everything about politics and what everyone should do and who they should be. And so I was more than happy to find the errors in everyone else's ways, right? And so that's what I did. And so I would go around. I made a lot of friends doing this. I would go around and I would tell people why they were wrong. And I can remember a particular conversation that I had with a family member who was about a generation older than me, 20, 25 years older than me. 
And, and, and so we were there, and we were having this conversation in his home, uh, and, 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 and we, I had this great opening to be able to tell him uh, why he was wrong. And so sure enough, all of a sudden, we started talking. We started talking politics. We started talking religion. We started talking culture. And, I mean, it was great. I mean, I was crushing it, right? I mean, I was just like, oh, man, I was just, I was putting it to him. And I thought at any moment, he's just going to start weeping and say, I have been wrong my whole life. That didn't happen. But I will tell you this, about three quarters of the way through my telling him everything that he should already have known, I realized something, which was that he wasn't meeting me where I was. That instead, actually, what he was doing was, A, he was listening. B, he was kind of gently pushing back at times. But what I also remember is just the way that he was sitting. It was this posture of invitation. It was this posture that let me begin to see that no matter what, no matter how this conversation ended, and I offended him. He told me in the middle of the conversation that I was offending him, but he said it in such a gentle way that by the time that conversation was ended, though I did not persuade him of anything and he didn't persuade me of anything, what I was persuaded of was this, that he loved me. And that no matter how this conversation would ever end, that he was always going to want to be in relationship with me. And though I had, did not honor, I dishonored the sacredness of our relationship until the cows came home. What he did was he honored it in the gentleness of his way. And I knew, I knew that I was always going to be welcomed in by him. And one of the other things that I learned on that night, I haven't learned it completely yet, is this. And it's kind of what Craig Barnes was saying as well. Which is that while it may oftentimes be seen by others that gentleness is a weakness, that it takes a remarkable strength to actually be gentle. You see, it takes no strength at all to send off an email or to post something on social media with your opinion on something that is completely detached from relationship. It takes no strength at all to be able to detach something, your opinion on something, and go off and feel really good about it. Anyone can do that. A monkey could do that, quite frankly. Anyone can do that. And you put something, you detach it from relationship, and you put people in their place. But the reality is that nothing actually changes when you do that. And all you have done is dishonored the sacredness of relationships. You can take whatever issue it is that you want to. There are plenty of them. You know this. Right? And you could take almost any of those particular issues. It could be the issue of immigration. It could be the issue of abortion. It could be the issue of, 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 of sexuality. It could be the issue of Supreme Court justices. It could be the issue of, uh, of, of Braun versus Donnelly. It could be the issue of, of the Cardinals versus the Cubs. Now let's be honest. That's a little hard because of the fact that Cubs fans are so obnoxious. Am I right? It is hard to be gentle. I'm just going to be honest. 
But any of those issues, many of which we detach from relationship, what you have to understand is that when we do that, you may win a particular argument, but you will lose relationship. And when Jesus taught us as he walked on this earth, it's not that you should never express your opinion, not that you should be a wallflower, but that you should do so in such a way that at the end of the conversation, that person, as difficult as it may be, is more drawn to you then than he or she she was before the conversation began. But it's not just hot topic issues. It's issues with our children as well. I mean, I, I will tell you this week, and it always happens this week, and I'm sure it's just because I'm thinking about it, but I can remember, this was on Thursday, I think it was, I can remember our daughter being upstairs, and she's saying, Daddy, and I was like, What? And I realized that when I said it like that, that I had in some way dishonored the sacredness of the relationship. What I am sorry to tell you all is this. That all, so often I have said a what just like that. That our children have begun to learn to say, never mind. Which makes me realize that I have not treated them in any sort of gentleness that would invite them to conversation. I'm not expecting us to be perfect. I know what it's like when a, when a kid has all day been saying, Daddy, 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 or Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. We're never going to be perfect about this. But what I notice is that far too often, I have not shown the strength that I should have in giving a gentle reply. But it isn't easy. I've wrestled trying to figure out how do we talk about, how do we become more gentle. I don't really have the time to go into it in a lengthy way, so let me just say a couple of things. One is, it's fascinating that Paul says, let your, evident, let your gentleness be evident to all, and then immediately he says, Jesus is near. And I love it because there is this sense that if you want your gentleness to be evident, then you need to continually remember that Jesus is near, that Jesus is in control. Those times when I am least gentle, when I am most harsh, are those times when I forget that and I think that the way the world going is going is up to me to fix. Or that whether or not our children turn out well, it's up to me completely and I better get this all right. And that if we want to become more gentle, we need to breathe and to remember that it is the Lord who is near and is in control. There's also this intricate connection between humility and gentleness. Right? Jesus says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. One sentence. And if you are having a conversation with somebody or if you're looking in the mirror and you see this person and this person always seems to think that he or she is right, they've never made a mistake, there's nothing else to learn. If you see that person, here is what I want you to know, that same person is going to struggle with being gentle. Humility and gentleness go hand in hand. And finally, I've learned a lot through this person named Jean Veneer. Now, actually, um, um, this person's Canadian, I think French-Canadian, actually, and so the name should be Jean Vanier or something like that. But I knew if I said it like that, you guys would think, you're so pretentious. So the person's name is Jean Veneer. 
and, 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 and so what, what Veneer did is, is, is he started, I think it was in France, um, he started these homes, right? It's called La Arche, I think. And, and he started these homes that for, for developmentally disabled, right? And they, they're big in the community. It's not an institution. He began it by inviting two developmentally, developmentally disabled men to come into his home to live with him. And one of the things you always know, right, if you want to be shaped more like Jesus, the best way to do it is just start practicing things like that. So he's learned a lot about himself. But one of the things that he's learned is about gentleness and what it takes to be gentle. And here's what he says about gentleness. He says, our enemies are also wounded people like us. And until we see that about them, gentleness is not possible. It is with great regularity that when we get into some kind of debate with somebody about some particular issue, that what we fail to see is that that person, just like us, is wounded and is broken and is struggling. It is so much easier for us just to either detach it from that person or to make that person put two horns on them as if they are Satan himself and just go off and completely forget that they are just as wounded and broken and scared as we so often are. Or even as I was thinking about this, thinking about for those of us who have young children, I don't know if you remember this, but you once were three or five or seven or nine and you were annoying. But you wanted to spend time with your parents. And you were curious. And you had questions. And you wondered about things. And you were constantly badgering your parents. Maybe if we remember that just a bit, it may help in the way that we reply. It may help in our own gentleness. You're not going to hear about this topic all that often. The reality is that gentleness is so often overshadowed. And yet it seems to me, especially in our time and in this place, we have this incredible opportunity to be a witness to the world around us that is watching. Of what it looks like, not to agree with everything, but what it looks like to hold the relationships in such a sacred way way that we refuse to stop being gentle. William Barclay says this about saints. He says, saints are people whose lives make you want to believe in God even more. I wonder how many times do we have conversations and how many times do we act in such a way that when we are done with those things, those people with whom we have conversed want to believe in Jesus even more than what they did before. Let us pray. Jesus, it is not easy. Our culture our own brokenness teaches us that gentleness is not the way to get ahead. And yet what you have showed us, Lord, is that the way to be in relationship, what is so important to you, to be in relationship with others, and that that cannot happen if we do not hold those relationships in a sacred way by being gentle, by choosing 
to have the strength to be gentle rather than harsh. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to know that you are in control. Help us to be humble. Help us to know that we, just like those we face, are broken and wounded people. And in the midst of that gentleness, might they be drawn not just to us, but to you as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.